to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Uh, You can find our podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash authors on the air. You can find me on Spotify and all of the most popular podcast apps. Um, Please go there, give us a like, give a listen, and send me some feedback. I'd love to hear what you think. Um, My guest tonight is a practicing trial attorney in the fields of MedMal, product liability, and personal injury. He's also a performer who spent time in Nashville as a songwriter. He's the author of Whispers of Silence and another book that we're going to be talking tonight, Class of Two. And he's here to tell me about how he wishes he would have strummed the guitar more and did less lawyering. I am thrilled to welcome to the show Tim Cagle. Hi, Tim. Welcome to Office on the Air. Hello, Pam. Thank you very much. And first of all, I'd like to say I want to offer my sincere congratulations to you and your staff for setting this interview up now, because we're right in the middle between the Super Bowl and the State of the Union. And I guarantee you, I'll try to make this as entertaining as the Super Bowl. And I promise we'll have more fun than the State of the Union. State of the Union. (laughs) You know what's funny? Um, Tim, I was telling you in the green room that I, I read about 400 books a year. I don't own a television. So um, in, in years past, I may have watched a Super Bowl uh, in the hopes that my hometown team, the Dolphins, may have done something. I do remember 1972 when they won the Super Bowl. Alas, that's the Nick only Bonacani, time they've Mercury played. Morris, I remember too. Yeah. Yep, yep. So that's, you know, uh, our – even poor Dan Marino never made it. So uh, I know, but I but I have seen all the other sports teams in Florida win the ultimate prize. So you know, it can't yep. be too bad, right? But right, um, I and, agree, and I I think even with Ryan Fitzpatrick, you, the Dolphins are going to come back. But I'm not sure. Do? But I think so. It's, yeah, it's I, well, I think you can time. hold out hope. I think they got a <laughs> shot, but uh, you know, but <laughs> who knows? Uh, unfortunately, when when Ryan Tannehill got out of there, he did a great job for Tennessee this year. So maybe it just wasn't right for him when he was there. But I always thought he was a great quarterback. Oh, really? Uh, I see. I yeah. I lost track after I left Miami uh, more than ten years ago. I lost track with everything, and, and still my time there, I didn't have a television. So um, gotcha. I kind of, you know, I used to go to the Heat games because I love basketball. Yeah. I had, you know. First riser center court seats right behind the team. It was great. But, um, yep. and I used to go to the hockey games, but um, not baseball. It's too slow for me. Yeah, no baseball. You. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's a great sleeping pill as far as I'm concerned. Okay. You, you know, football, basketball, hockey, great. Baseball, please. You know, I, I just, I need some Benadryl or something to get away from there it. You I'm with you. Yes. So let's talk about your life. You've had a very, very busy 
career as an attorney. And um, I have. Seems, you, it seems like you've done it all. You were a law professor. You taught courses in torts, evidence, medical malpractice, negotiations. You are, were admitted to practice law in Massachusetts, Missouri, which doesn't fit, um, the federal yeah. district court in Boston. And you've been admitted for many cases uh, on a temporary basis, like in New Hampshire, Rhode Island, um, the federal district court in the state of New Jersey. So you right. had quite a lot of trial experience. Did you know that from your high school days that you wanted to be an attorney? Uh, I did. I, I actually, I wanted to be a songwriter, but I didn't want to, I wanted to make sure I could make a living somehow. And I really wanted to be a lawyer because I like to argue with people. And so, <laughs> excuse me, uh, I decided as a kid, that's what I wanted to do because I said, you know, trying to make it in the music business, trying to write songs, that is really tough. There's a lot of obstacles. And I said, I have to have some sort of career to get me through. And that's exactly what I did. But the music always came first. It came just, first. It, was the, it had the most effect on me in my life of anything I've ever done. When did you begin playing music and composing songs? Great question. Yeah, let me, I'll give you the whole story here. Okay. Uh, I got it. I got my first. I grew up as a very poor kid in a, a town a little bit south of Kansas City. And uh, when I was 15 years old, I had to take a job in a town about an hour away. I didn't have a car, nothing. So I had to room and board there where I was doing construction work, 12 hours a day. The only thing I had for entertainment was a small transistor radio my girlfriend gave me. And I used to listen at night in my room, and the only station that came in clear was a country station. So I started listening to country music because I was kind of a Dylan kid and a Chuck Berry kid. And that was uh -huh. the stuff I liked, but I, the only thing I got was country. So that's how I got into it. And I've come to believe since then that life is certainly, every situation in life can be explained by a song title. Uh, but sure you know, I got like my that. first guitar at 15. I got in a poker game. I won five straight pots, which I still don't know how I did it, but I did. But when I started writing songs was uh, a few months later, my grandmother died. And I wouldn't cry because I my my poor father had died before I was born. So I was raised by a single mom before it was fashionable. And I said, I'm not going to cry. Nothing is going to make me cry. I'm too tough to do it. And so I was fine till we were coming home from the cemetery. And all of a sudden, I started remembering the country songs that I heard. And I heard this song, Will the Circle Be Unbroken by the Nitty Gritty oh, yeah. Dirt Band. And it was an old sure. Carter family hit. And right. the, the lyrics, I, it was standing by the window one cold and cloudy day when I saw the hearse come rolling to carry my mother away. And I lost it. And I said, what am I going to do? And I'm trying to grab the, the door to keep from getting out. And finally, we pulled up, and I jumped out, and I ran in the back seat, and the tears were just streaming down my face. And I said, this, at that point, that's when music first spoke to me. And it said, why don't you write your own songs? And I said, what will that do? And it said, it'll let you cry inside. And that was kind of the inspiration I needed, and that's when I started to write songs. And I, I wrote quite a few of them. Uh, most of them were really, you'd have to hold your nose because they weren't really that good. 
but, but you uh, were writing. I, I spent a lot of time doing that. And then when I got to college, I got to be, finally got to be in a band. My girlfriend bought me a picture book with chords in it, so I taught myself how to play the guitar. I went to college in the 60s. I was a rock and roll kid, a little bit of country, but then we got into 65, 66, 67, and the lovely President Johnson elevated the troop levels in Vietnam, and yep. the music just turned dirty and ugly because the kids didn't want to die for some politician. And right. you know, But that's how I got started, and I think the reason why I love country today is because most of it is old 60s and 70s rock and roll in a different form. Because today, yeah. all of us old rockers are sitting in one, trying to figure out yeah. what to do. But it got its roots in 50s, 60s, 70s rock and roll. In fact, I would tell people now, try to imagine Garth Brooks singing Ain't Going Down Till the Sun Comes Up, and try not to picture Chuck Berry or uh, Don Felder and Joe Walsh of the Eagles on lead guitar. You can't yeah. do it. I mean, if that's not rock and roll, I don't know what is. It's, it's really true. Um, when I moved over to Southwest Florida, there's a huge, huge, huge country music fan base here. As a matter of fact, right across from the first place I lived is a, is a dance hall, literally called the Saloon, where they have all the big names go there. And it's a really, really popular site. So um, when I'm not listening to NPR, which I'm a news junkie, so I listen to NPR, um, I will yeah. listen to the country music station. And, um, but I have to tell you that, that I got turned on to country music by a guy I used to go out with. And he yeah. he used to play his guitar, and he sang Amarillo by Morning, and that oh, was it. George Strait? I, I, George yeah. Strait. Great And song. I loved it. Yeah, and I loved it. I fell in love with it then. So now I listen to everything from opera to, you know, headbanger metal yeah. music to – to um, symphony, to country, or well, and everything in between, you know. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a with fan you. Yeah, like because, you are. Yeah, well, I, I wrote my first book, "Whispers from the Silence." It's about country songwriters, and uh, you know, it, it's like I all those nights I stayed up trying to write songs, and I could just it, it, the the title comes from the fact that I'm staring at the shadows on the wall, and dawn's about to break. And I'm praying that the silence will whisper the lyrics to me because I can't figure it out. And I get up Amen. and I splash my face and I get up and pace and all because writing a song is probably the toughest thing I've ever done on earth. Wow. So you've written over 350 songs. You played yes. professionally as a, and as a single performer and spent some time in Nashville. Did you, were you able to sell your songs to um, no, anybody I, I else? No, I came close. There was this country singer making a comeback, and uh, we kind of got approval for the 10th cut on her album, and then the album fell through, and she didn't make her comeback, so that's about as close as I came. And I knew that, you know, I I went to Nashville for a couple of years, tried to make it, and uh, it got to the point where I had to make a living again, so I just decided that I would always be a songwriter trapped in a lawyer's body and decided to come back to Massachusetts. Wow. So, I, you know, your first book was about your desire to write, but then you wrote another book that was totally different called Unexpected Enemy, Ultimate Revenge, and that is a thriller. So can you tell us a little bit about that book, please? Yes. 
as when as the first one was based on my uh, songwriting and singing career, my other two thrillers, Unexpected Enemies, the first one, is based on mm-hmm. my career as a malpractice lawyer. And ah. this is about a, uh, a a couple that go for in vitro fertilization, and mm-hmm. the woman gets the wrong sperm and gives birth to an interracial child. And then the plot picks up, and you see what happens to the doctor. You see what happens to the couple. Lawyers get involved, and it just uh, hopefully runs through the gamut of all the emotions because you can imagine what goes to the And frankly, uh, this is kind of based on personal experience. My wife and I went for infertility treatment many years ago, and mm-hmm. I went the, one of the first times I was in there. I looked, and I said, wow, there's all kind of people in the waiting room. And, I mean, it was people of all races and all ethnic backgrounds right. and all creeds and all I, all of a sudden it came to me being a products liability lawyer. I said, wait a minute. You know, this isn't like if you go to your mechanic and they do a bad brake job, you can fix that. If your accountant right. doesn't file your taxes right, you can file an amended return. But if you get the wrong sperm and give birth to someone whose child you didn't really want to have, what would happen? And that's right. how the, that book came about. Well, Art, let me tell you a true story, and that's interesting. This woman I know wanted to be a single mom. She had just decided she tried the dating scene. It didn't work, but she really wanted to be a mom. So she went yeah. to, I guess, like a, a sperm bank. And, you know, I get, guess they let you look over the biography and the medical history. and However it works, I don't know. I've never gone. But anyway, she got pregnant. She has an adorable son who's full of energy. They are joined hip to hip and it's fantastic it turns out he has like 17 half siblings and he every year they get together with about five of them so um i thought that was really interesting but you know also it's it's to me that's a slippery slope i'm not sure that i'd want to go down myself and and i listen i'm with you I I understand there are people who are desperate to have children, and so that's what yeah. they do. Um, and I understand that. And God bless you. I hope you have the child that you're gonna you wanted and will love all your life. But there are, I think, some unintended consequences from that. You know, and no, you're absolutely you had, correct. You know, it's like you can't donate to the same per- sperm bank more than once. You have to go someplace else. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. because there's been significant litigation uh, where the sperm sure. banks have been sued by people uh, for sure. similar situations to this. You know, I mean, right, if right. you if you ever Google this, I mean, it comes up consistently. Oh yeah, I, and I think I read about a doctor who was using his own sperm and, you know, had like a yeah. hundred children or something. So yeah, uh, this the, was the guy you know, that was going to save the world, I think with his population. I think you're right. right. Exactly. It's crazy. So now we have the new book, which um, released at the uh, last year called class of right. two. I want to hear about this book in particular, because this is the one that I've chosen to read this weekend. So perhaps oh, you can give me a little bit of information without giving me the ending. You got it. Uh, You absolutely got it. This is my favorite. Uh, This is about two lawyers, one black guy, one white guy that went to college in the 60s. They were college roommates. They played football together. They were all Americans, in fact. And it was in Texas at the height of the civil rights movement. And 
They wound up living together. They were ostracized by both the black community and the white community. And they reunite in Boston uh, after they go their separate ways and in their separate careers. And they wind up, the black guy gets a case of this 18-year-old college basketball star who collapses at the free throw line. And he goes to the hospital and the leading heart surgeon in the country puts a cardiac pacemaker in him. And the next day, he collapses, has a stroke, and has permanent brain damage at 18 years old. It's just an absolutely catastrophic case. And then the case takes you through the trial and the resolution and how this comes out. This is probably my favorite book to write. It's based on some guys I was in the Army with. Uh, There was always the black-white thing. We worked through it. We got to be friends. It it was just, it was eye-opening for me, and especially in that time frame, because I was in Kansas in the 60s in Oklahoma, and we played football in Arkansas. We played football in Texas, because I was a college football player, too. And Mm -hmm. I always wanted to write this, because, you know, it's not about uh, one race or another. It's about two guys who got to be friends despite everything that happened to them and then sure. they reunite for this big case of a lifetime with this poor old kid at 20, 18, 22 years old, and he's confined to a bed because he has brain damage. It, it is based in part on uh, true incidents, but obviously I had to change a lot because not to have anyone who's actually living to be identified as this. You know, um, it occurs to me that you had a lot of interest when you were growing up. You you know, you were construction, you were a songwriter, you had a guitar, you played football, you were in the military. Did you also read for pleasure? Or did Boy did I going did, one of the did few things I could law do school not 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 take it take you out of your love of reading? <laughs> my uh, my no. brother's an attorney. <laughs> my brother's an attorney and whenever I say tell me what, what book you want and I'll give it to you. And he says, I have no time to read. So I, I you know, which breaks my heart, but you, you always read. Well, well I did. And uh, Pam, I don't know about your brother. I don't know why he became an attorney. I basically became an attorney because I wasn't smart enough to do what I wanted, which is write songs. So, so that's why I wound up as this, but the reading when I was a kid, I mean, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have a lot of things right. they have today. Right. Excuse me. And uh, my favorite authors were Leon Uris. I mean, he just oh, put yeah. things right the way I wanted them. And William Goldman. And uh, oh gosh, um, yeah. Uh, let me think. If Mario Puzo wrote The Godfather, one of the greatest yep. books going. I mean, and, and since then, I mean, today I like John Grisham. I like Scott Turow. They're both lawyers. I like Patricia right. Cornwell. I like Tammy Hoeg. I mean, I think there's a lot of great writers out there today. But, yes, I always got in the habit of it. It just it made the time pass when I wasn't playing sports or doing something else. It was a great way to pass time. So um, you had this love of all things creative, it sounds like to me. Um, why did you decide to write a book? Because I couldn't go to Nashville and write songs the way I wanted to do. So I did the next next best thing. I wrote a book about songwriting. And that's why, you know, when I told you about, I think everything in life can be explained by a song title. Song, sure. I would, I would say my life is like the electric light orchestra song, Hold On Time Tight to Your Dreams. Because right. I was 71 years old when my first book got published. 
because I started wow. writing when in the 90s, but I was working 100 hours a week. I was teaching right. law school, and I was also have a full-time practice, and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't bring the, the books up to speed the way I needed to. And finally, when I could retire, or at least semi-retire, uh, I was able to get some books published. So I've been lucky to have three of them published in the last two years. It's fantastic. I think it's wonderful. You know, um, it's funny where our life path leads us. I I had a very supportive family who said, do whatever you want to do. You know, as long as you do it well and to the best of your ability, you give 100%. You're not ashamed to put your name on something. We're 100% behind you. So I've been a business owner. I've I've done a lot of different things, but my job really was was as a physical therapy geriatric rehab consultant. So never in a million years would I ever, never in a million years would I have thought I would be a radio talk show host. And I've done over 1500 author interviews. So it's funny the way, you know, the things that we end up doing that we we never imagined ourselves doing. You thought you were going yeah, to be well, a musician, I, and, and here and here you are. Now, do you still play your guitar, by the way, Tim? Oh, Pam. Well, first of all, let me just say congratulations that you had a family with it that was supportive. I know so many <laughs> people you. who didn't, so good for yeah. you on that. Yeah. Yeah. To answer your question, yes. Lace, for the past few years, I've been teaching guitar to my neighbor's teenage daughters. And they oh, hate my, my music. They tell me it's Civil War campfire songs. They think <laughs> Taylor, Taylor Swift is a goddess and so Ed Sheeran is a god. And I will get them going. And once in a while, as soon as they like something, I'll teach them a Taylor Swift song. And then I'll slip in Sam Cooke or Chuck Berry or Johnny Cash or a Motown song. And, and they like curl their nose up and I say, wait a minute, would you get some bad pet crab puffs or what? And they go, those songs are, oh, Civil War campfire songs. And I tell them, <laughs> take it easy. But that's a whole new world talking to them. I oh, mean, I'm they're sure. 16 I... and 14. I mean, it's just, but is it fun? Talk about giving back. That's probably the second most fun thing I've ever done. Uh, you know, I hear you. I started piano and organ lessons when I was seven years old and play took okay. lessons all through high school. So um, music is very important to me. And I understand the need. I was not a gifted uh, uh, musician, a pianist. I yeah. could play technically very, very well, have perfect pitch. Um, my teacher would make me sit with my back to the keyboard and he'd clink a note either on the organ or the piano and make me identify all the notes. And after a while he said, okay, I can't oh. teach you anymore. But the thing great. is I didn't have that innate talent. So I would never be a great pianist or a, you know, a great musician, yeah. but I do appreciate it for sure. And I, I understand the desire to be so good you know and to i can't hold a tune to save my life i have five cats they run screaming under the bed when i if i ever try singing (laughs) (laughs) and i and i yeah but you do have a captive audience i I have a captive audience and and fortunately you know sometimes they like me to sing to them and i think oh you poor things you're probably deaf by now but you know (laughs) i make i make up little songs for them tim so i am totally in sync with what you're saying you know it's it's heartbreaking to want it so bad and really not have the talent for it (laughs) 
Well, that's why I wrote that book. So I said, if I can't write songs, I'll write about writing songs. And, there you go. The two teenage, uh, the other thing with the two teenage sisters is that I will teach them country songs that, you know, country, the reason I really like country music is it lends itself to parody songs more than anything on earth. And I, sure. I try to teach them songs like, you know, uh, Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn had a, a song, You're the Reason Our Kids Are Ugly. And they look right. at me and say, that's not really a song. And I say, yeah, it was a huge hit. And then I told him the other day, I said, well, how about this one? I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. And they look at me and say, you had to have made that up. And I say, no, no, absolutely. So <laughs> at least in my book, Whistler, <laughs> I got two song titles. The first one is Your Love Was Priceless. My my lawyer was 700 an hour. And the second one is The Kindness of Strangers Led Me to a Week on Penicillin. So they're not sure what to make of those two. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad I got you. Oh, God, that's excellent. (laughs) Oh, God bless you for teaching the girls. And let me tell you something. Some of those old songs get remade and they get restyled, and those those girls don't even realize that they're listening to something that may have been written back in the fifties or sixties, and and that is oh. the truth. I I've had you now you and I have lived long enough where we can say, I remember when so and so sang that and so and so sang it, and then three other people sang it. They're still too young to have it. it just like fashion, oh, it all. Boy. Are you on the money? Two years ago, we did a Christmas show, and uh-huh. they loved Taylor Swift, and she had a song, Stay, Stay, Stay. And I said to them, do you know who first did a song called Stay? And they said, no. I said, Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs in 1959. So we did a, a song where they sang Taylor Swift, and I sang Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs. So it was Stay, 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 and then Stay which Jackson Brown had a hit of, and it right. was interspersed with the two to show them exactly the point you just made, which was outstanding. A lot of yeah. times, the more things change, the more they stay the same. They stay the same. Boy, aren't you you're just they not sure kidding. Do. Tim, will you please tell listeners your website? Oh, yes. It's www.timkegelauthor.com, and Kegel is spelled C A. G L E. It sounds like bagel, but it's not E L, it's L E. Tim Kegelauthor.com. Perfect. And you are you on Facebook as well? I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on the things that are easy. I, I can't figure out uh Snapchat and I mean listen, uh, Pam, I have enough trouble just lifting the computer screen up, you know, without trying to get a, a PhD from MIT in electrical engineering. So there you go. But I'm, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, yeah, Instagram and all that. You and I connected on LinkedIn. So I, I, I know that you we mentioned, did. please go to LinkedIn. And I, you know, I thought, geez, I've got so many friends on here and I haven't posted in years. And so I had a flurry of activities and posted a bunch of, bunch of stuff on there. So that was because of you. Oh, good. Thank I'll check it much. out. Yeah, I posted a bunch of stuff. Tim, it has been such a delight speaking to you. Um, thank well, you thank so you. Much I really enjoyed speaking me. to you, too. It was really a lot well, of fun. Well, it's my and pleasure. Please, you get in touch with me when you write your next book. 
okay? You got it, because I'm working on two. I'm writing one about an 80s band that reunites. Boy, talk about almost autobiographical. And another <laughs> one is about a sturgeon accused of identity theft in Vietnam. So I'm working Ooh. back and forth between these two, depending on what I want to do. But I will definitely get in like touch fun. with you. And listen, I can't thank you enough for this. This was a wonderful experience. And you're a very gracious host, and I really thank you for for oh. allowing me to be on. And now we're oh, going to be let down favorite. by the State of the Union, Pam, because no, no, we had I'm, too much I'm, fun. I'm plugging in my Alexa and saying, Alexa, play uh, symphony or something, you know, or play opera. It will be better. It'll well, drive the cats it, crazy, but, you know, <laughs> I'm going to listen to opera. I got you. <laughs> well, then I will uh, close by giving you one of my favorite quotes from the immortal Travis Tritt. When he said, okay. I hope that tonight's interview will help you, quote, put some drive in your country and keep there on you go. driving on. Keep on driving on. Tim Cagle, thank you so much. I hope you have a lovely evening, and I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you very much. And, Pam, I look forward to talking to you again. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's our show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, thank you for listening, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Thank you.